0: Welcome to the Spent the Rent podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is a former candidate for Oregon State Representative and Oregon's House District 12, Alan Stout. Alan, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you. How have you?
0: This is really cool. Uh, this is a bit different. I, I've been asked by a lot of my audience to have... They're like, you always talk to progressives. You always talk to Democrats. You need to have people with opposite views. And so I've been racking my brain finding somebody that i could invite into my home and i met you at the fair and i knew that i could trust you because we had a great conversation we talked for quite a while it was a lot of fun me and thomas Huda. i mentioned him every episode by the way hey hey thomas uh and we would talk to you we went up to the republican tent and uh that, i think that was the day of the shooting or was that a different year oh
1: uh, i don't even remember either that,
0: way we had a great conversation and i i kept your flyer around for a long time and i meant to have you on but then I was kind of, there were so many things going on with yeah. the election. I was like, I don't, should I give him air time? <laughs> no, but, but I wanted to have you on. So thank you so much for being here. Before we get started, I wanted to talk about what our goal is today. We aren't here to change each other's minds, we're here to give each other a chance to talk about our individual perspectives. I don't want to see us turn into a about of what aboutism. And I can already tell that by talking to you off air, that it's not going to. I mean, you're a stand up dude and you respect people with different views. Sometimes it doesn't come across that that's how I view things, but that actually is. I mean, I was, I talk about it a lot on the podcast. I was raised by my Republican dad, which, you know, like a typical young man, my whole life's goal was to gain his approval. So I had to get inside of his mind <laughs> quite a bit. And so I definitely feel like I'm confident in this in in talking to people with different views. And I actually share quite a few, uh, takes on certain issues as conservatives, but thank you so much for being here. No, it's really a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me in your house and, uh yeah yeah so let's talk first about your campaign you ran against john lively which is a tall order because he's kind of a you know he's been in office for a long time in springfield and he's got a pool named after him you know so uh talk about your campaign and what you learned about the community
1: well uh first of all john's a stand-up dude i really respect him and he was kind enough to let me you know take him out to breakfast we had a really nice a nice connection after the whole campaign uh, and I really wish him the best. And I think he's on some really good committees that he will do very well with. Um, John's really a moderate and he's last of what we call the mod squad uh, back in the state capitol. Um, my campaign, gosh, there's so much to learn, especially not coming from a heavily political background. It's interesting to see the number of people that are excited about oh, here's a candidate who's not uh, who's not a politician who wants to bring a little bit more um, what the outside of the political, uh, sphere in there, what happened was when we started to get some polling that you know, I was, I was just going to run the campaign. Hey, I'm going to run the campaign, give people a choice, you know, uh, do what I can. Uh, when we got some competitive polling, that's really when, you know, some other folks who, who wanted to fund the campaign really stepped up. And that's where we got all the fun TV ads and all the other fun, uh, you know, flyers and mailers and everything else came out. Um, 47% of the vote, is huge yeah and it was a close one i don't think any of us honestly expected me to get that far now i think i would have been a good representative and i would have had a different take on a few things that said um one of the biggest takeaways i think of this whole campaign is there's 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 no free lunch and there's no easy street to getting there when we when you hear about like the aocs of the world or the yeah i mean i don't want to say it but george santos is of the world you know he's, he's a liar but um when you hear about, you know, these people that kind of skip the line, mm-hmm. it makes news, right. right? But 95% of the time, really, our, our political figures are people that we want to have been in office, have been in, uh, you know, on a committee, been with sub, been with, you know, uh, uh, something involved with the community, so that they can see their track record and be like, oh, they're not just coming from nowhere. Right. So when you, there was a lot of money that came into that campaign.
0: Mm-hmm. Where, where was the big uh support coming you know was it mostly local or was did you get like support from outside of the area
1: um all within oregon but there's a lot of the big support was from outside of the area that's, yeah that's the reality there's yeah. a lot of local support too though sure. there's a tremendous number of either local donors individuals and a lot of times this happens on both sides um you know the lobbyists will look at a campaign and say well if you've got you know 20 percent of your support locally they they fund the other 80 percent of that and that right. happens both democrats republicans totally. it's the sausage totally
0: uh, I wanted to talk about the the elephant in the room. There's no pun intended. Oh. Uh, the, the division in the country. You know, it's like yeah. the vitriol, dehumanization of individuals for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Why do people in this country despise one another, and how can we begin to listen and show empathy? And is it possible to make America kind again?
1: Yeah, it's, That's kind of a broad question, but it's a big question. And I think um, I think we have to be careful. The squeaky wheel getting the grease because there's a lot of squeaky wheels out there and some of them really are angry. I don't think we got to hating each other. Hate, hate's a form of slavery in my mind. It's sure. a form of you know personal slavery, bitterness. It's like drinking poison and wanting the other person to die. Right. Um, when I hate somebody else, I'm losing everything. And that didn't happen overnight. That happened drip by drip by drip. And likewise, you don't, you don't get somebody to be bitter by just one experience. You get them to be bitter of a whole lifetime of experiences, it's person by person and I don't believe in a big national program or a big national push. Uh, I'm a person of prayer. I do believe prayer makes a big difference locally, but I really think it's these interactions like just like this, where we're having a conversation where we can stop hating each other, stop getting scared. A lot of times we're just scared. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a
0: lot of people out there that are unwilling to see it for what it is. I mean, it's a difference in opinion on strategy in a lot of ways. You know, there's, there's not a, I always say that it's like you. If you think that you're right when it comes to politics, then you're probably not. <laughs> you know, because it's not. It's not how things work. I mean, it shouldn't be about winning, or it shouldn't be about being right. It should be about compromise and listening to everybody as much as possible, and then democracy prevailing. You know, right. I got a sign up there that's why I'm having you here. It says democracy includes those we disagree with. Yeah. You know, because we do have to come together. I saw someone like a uh, Laura Boebert. That's not trying to bring people together, but she, you know, put out a tweet that said like, gotcha, like, this isn't actually a democracy. It's a Republic. And it's like, it's both. (laughs) It's literally both, Mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, that's semantics. And I don't know what kind of gotcha moment that is that kind of stuff. And it's, it's done. I'm guilty of it, of putting stuff up there. I definitely will say that I have made a conscious effort to stop attacking voters. Mm -hmm. And I will like on social media. Yeah. And I attack the candidates and the politicians because- the voters are just caught up in this and and the, they're being pushed. I think it works both ways. I think that the candidates and the politicians listen and kind of do what they think the voters want to hear. Mm-hmm. But I think they also direct it. And then we've got you know news outlets that are like drilling at home that do not trust these people. These people are the, the enemy. We'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. But, you know, so I don't know. I mean, I just think that there's so many people I talk to. I'm a barber. Yeah. And there's so many people I talk to on a daily basis that are like, I just wish people could just like find ways to respect each other. Yeah. And I think that doing these kind of things, just sitting down, I think that's a step. Absolutely. You know? So, uh, let's do something fun. Okay. Uh, I had each of us write down three of the top issues important to the opposition party. So I went into the mind of a Republican. Uh, I wrote down three things and you burnt some nog chopper, not really, and wrote down three as a Democrat. So let's review what we wrote and we'll talk about it. Uh, I'll go ahead and you can start with your first one.
1: All right. Um, are we doing the Springfield Democrats or doing national Democrats? I like, you told me that you, you know, so let's do, you can do both. Okay. So, 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 so this is
0: from Alan, Alan Stout from the mind of a Democrat. So I think this is a really good, good practice because it's it, instead of thinking what you want, it's how you perceive what others want.
1: Okay. Um, for Springfield Democrats, um, oh, I believe number one is jobs and wages. They have, it, it's a very pro union city. In a very pro-union rate region, do you want me to do number two and three? Sure. Okay. Um, Number two, I think, is access to healthcare. Absolutely. And uh, is for for all people. And number three is equality, and that's both economic and social. So, from whatever economic strategy you are in, or whatever social strategy you're in, whether you know whatever group you're part of, it's that equality. I think those are the top three things that kept equality and equity. You know, equity is so important. It's something that I've learned
0: a lot about representation matters to to Democrats because mm-hmm. I think that they want to make sure that everybody has a slice and a seat at the table, you know, and so, and they're heard from as much as possible. It's, the Democrats are such a huge tent, you know, you know, that it's tough. It's impossible to keep everybody on the same page, probably even more than the Republicans, even though I know that right now there's kind of a fracture, you know, for a lot of different reasons in the Republican side.
1: Oh, it's a bit like herding cats. Yeah. I mean, in, in many ways, I think both, both parties, if you will, are their own worst enemies. Yeah. Because it keeps us from actually talking like person to person, and you have to talk party to party, and that's never very much fun.
0: No, and I think the focus is always put on the right and left, when in all reality, the most voters are not either of those parties,
1: right? Right, and so like in Springfield, we have 10,000 Republicans, these are big round numbers, 16,000 Democrats, 19,000 unaffiliated voters. Yeah, That's huge. Oh, plus another 2,000, whether it's independent or constitution or other parties. That's a huge difference. I think a lot of that number says a lot of those people just don't want to get the mailers. A lot of them don't want to, are sure. just really disenfranchised. If n- yeah. But if you want to not get anybody showing up at your door, register for either D or R. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, less people knocking on your door. Is that true? Yeah, Actually? absolutely. Absolutely. Funny. Funny swing voters you're looking for. They, um, there's a lot, this is part of the, you know, when you're running the campaigns, you learn, okay, there's modeling that goes along with every voter. Cause, cause I mean, I don't know if you knew but um, your voter registration is a matter of public record. Yeah. And, and so yeah. anyone can look up, Hey, what are you registered as? And, you know, and there's also additional data that people buy and such both sides do this. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm aware. Says, oh yeah. He's, he's a hardened Democrat or he's a hardened Republican. I'm, or I'm, I'm apparently a sportsman uh, cause I'm a fly fisherman. I wow. signed a petition once. So wow. that's how they know.
0: Yeah. Cause I'm a precinct committee person for right. the democratic party. I don't do a lot. One thing I've been really happy with since I've stepped up, I've done it now two election cycles that, I go to some meetings. I have been kind of slacking lately, but they—they they don't want me to stop. They're like, "No, whatever sliver you want to give is fine, because we need as much support as we can." And right. you've got your own corner of it. Uh, I don't like knocking on doors, and I don't like. I—I got on the uh, texting people, and I texted a guy that was a registered rep- Democrat because we were reaching out to registered Democrats. This was right. before the primary, and he was like, "You know, I hate the Democrats. Don't ever contact me again." I'm like, "You might want to check your registration." <laughs> You know, and it's just, it, uh, it's, that's the hardest part is, is, and that's why I wanted to start a, a podcast like this where I don't only talk about politics. I, do, I, you know, next week or I, maybe a couple weeks, I'm going to be interviewing a musician. So it's like, Good. you know, it's, it's not just about politics, but the goal is for people to see the uh, accessibility of the local candidates yeah. and that it's okay. We can, our hair is not going to catch on fire if we have a conversation, even though I think we're both redheads, but uh, so it might, it might already be on fire. Right, uh, right. So Uh, my three things that I see important to the, uh, GOP are, this is a combo is the economy and inflation. So I think Mm -hmm. that that's similar to the Democrats because of jobs and, and wages, uh, and the economy and inflation and, and, you know, the the issue I have with it is, is that people are like Biden's economy. And I'm like, well, is it, does it work that way? And that's a difficult thing Mm -hmm. because I do think that the tax cuts that expired under the Trump administration had a lot to do with that, you Mm -hmm. know, so that. People are like, I'm getting left on my tax return. Uh, But it's like, yeah, because of policies that were put in before, you know, we haven't approved a new budget yet. So I don't believe Uh, the second issue that I saw that would be important to Republicans is immigration. I know that Fox and a lot of the channels will beat their drum about uh, it's basically populism is -hmm. what it is. And Mm -hmm. there's populists on both sides. There's Bernie Sanders as a populist, Mm -hmm. you know, about about uh, poor people and, and populism sometimes can be used in the form of what I consider to be racism or, you know, not everybody that's anti or that wants to limit immigration or secure the borders, not even close to everybody is a racist by any means. I don't Correct. think that I don't believe that, you know, uh, but I do believe that it is a tactic used by Fox.
1: Well, and, and I, I'm just going to jump in on Please. this. Um, one of the things that really grinds my gears. So, so I go to a church and it was 60% Latino and it grinds my gears when anyone, anyone uses the term illegal. Like I'm sorry, you're a human person. You're not illegal. But then there's the flip side of it, which is the virtue signaling and saying, no one is illegal. I'm like, okay, I appreciate that, but you're missing the point, which is to say- we need strong borders, but but we also really need to look at these people as human beings and yeah. stop saying that. So yeah. no, I agree. I, I, don't, I don't like spending time with people that call people illegal. Ill- Ill- no. Ill- and s- then immigrant, the, my third thing was
0: crime. Cause I know that that's yeah. very important security, safety, and and obviously how people see that in this country is going to be broad, especially if you're rural versus a city in an urban setting, your experience with crime is very different. Like I saw something that I'm going to call him out. Rick dancer was, was uh talking about on tiktok I, I he popped up on my feed and and he was saying like i love montana because you don't have to lock your door and i'm like well yeah any place in oregon if you live if there's 13 people there <laughs> then it's going to be fine like th- that's the big issue of this rural versus urban debate yeah and yes i mean a city you know the size of portland is going to have a different issue set even than the size of springfield right you know but You know, the difference in strategy we can discuss. Crime is something I, or or policing is something I've talked ad nauseum on this podcast. Mm -hmm. And I, I've been very fortunate to have a conversation with the police chief and asking questions about de-escalation. I'm very confident in the direction that the the police department is heading after having to clean some things up and change Mm -hmm. course. And I'm so far, I'm I'm really happy with uh, Chief Shearer. You know, they're charging people for bias, which I think is a huge step in Mm -hmm. equity. Like you had talked Mm -hmm. about in equality. Uh, so I think those are the, my three issues, economy and inflation, immigration and crime. I think those are the three most important that I see to the GOP. There's, I purposely didn't add in some of the national, uh, you know, gender and that sure. kind of stuff that people seem to cling to, because I do, I do think that it might get votes and it might drum up votes, but I don't think it's productive.
1: Well, I, and, um, if I can respond just to your, thoughts, I think, I think that's, I think that's reasonably fair. I mean, I think that really comes up. Uh, the immigration is not an issue for me. I mean, here it is in a way, but it also, it isn't. Um, sure. uh, I, I think like one thing I would put on that list that maybe isn't on that list would be personal liberties. Uh, Cause you know, one of the reasons I ran for office was because I had so many people leaving the state that were friends of mine. We lost our entire, you know, uh, personal network. And I'm not saying they were all Republicans, but we lost our entire network of friends and they were lo- moving to places like, texas south carolina and they think, you know it feels like we can breathe better i'm like in 100 humidity but but they felt like their personal liberties weren't quite as uh restricted as they were here and and i think that there's more to that it's not just like a government's response to covid although that's part of it it's i think there's more to just like the whole the feeling of a place but I, i think we get there more through a better social integration plan and that's not something that comes out of like. What do you what, is, what do you mean by that? Being able to talk to your neighbors. What are the things we do locally that enable us to talk to our neighbors more? Um, how walkable a city is. If it's if we have extremely walkable streets, we're much more likely to actually be out and actually talk to the people next to us. Um, if we're actually looking at how healthy we are in terms of uh, alcohol use or drug use. If we're limiting that, I'm not, I'm not getting, I don't want to say we should use the government for all of that. But if we can, as a culture say, Hey, we want to be more virtuous as people. We're more likely to talk to each other and share our different perspectives.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it's a, to me, addiction, which is something Mm -hmm. that I personally have lived with. You know, I'm an alcoholic. I have, I've been sober for almost seven years, but, uh, there's a lot of different causes and I think a lot of times it's it's uh, lack of ambition or or the fact that lack of opportunity is mm-hmm. sometimes where idle hands where you just like I don't see a chance of you know progress happening for me and so you kind of drown that and also mm-hmm. childhood trauma that I mean everybody experiences on some level. Absolutely. And so uh, there's just a lot of reasons. You know, I'm I'm happy and it gives me hope to hear kind of your perspective, at least the way that you're, pre- you know, presenting it, that it's not just like when you look at uh, like immigration. OK, that doesn't equal crime. You know, no. the the for example, the immigration in immigrants, there's a much lower uh, crime rate than there is in in Amer- in actualized citizens, whatever you call it, you know, natural born citizens. Uh, and so, again, like you had said, it's not an issue that you see personally because we don't live in a border. Right. state uh you know but yeah i don't know where i was going with that but the crime thing it's it's something that that uh there's a different perception i think everybody wants accountability yeah. but i have seen some on the right that that seem like they like the boot on someone's neck and that's something that it gives me a lot of pause i'm not saying you absolutely not but there you heard it i'm sure on the campaign where they're like they don't want it to be equal and that's a problem they wow. don't you know and so that's a big that doesn't i don't well We're talking about civil liberties. Okay. Personal liberties. Yeah. This is funny to me how the two sides can both be so hypocritical. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because, uh, for example, like what, what, who somebody wants to marry. I don't think that marriage should be for one. A lot of people believe that it's under God. Well, that's your own preference of how you, what faith you follow and whatnot. Sure. That doesn't have anything to do with, with, with government. Government's got no role in that. I actually think that we should be able to, uh, to help people because there's tax breaks for mm-hmm. married couples. I think that you should be able to choose one person regardless. <laughs> regardless of what it because nowadays it's a two-income world. Right. So it's like if you want to have a roommate, who cares about your relationship status? Most married couples probably aren't having sex anyway. <laughs> so I'm I, not I, that. Yeah, yeah. No. But <laughs> I, I mean I seriously see it that way. I see I think that we should have we should have conversations about let's just remove government's role in in personal mm-hmm. uh relationships that's your own business obviously there's going to be issues when it comes to latran stuff with sports is a difficult conversation mm-hmm. something people never want to actually talk about with in good faith on either side right. i feel like people are like this is it's it, it's a non-starter for people even though it's not as easy as people want to make it
1: right and, and, and a lot of these things are so complex that i can't begin to you know t- talk about them in the time we have it together but right um i just say you know there's so much going into the conversations and there's so much that has to be done in terms of uh, nurturing positive conversations, but it's ultimately supporting people and looking at people as individuals, not giving yeah. them like numbers. Absolutely.
0: Uh, now this is, I want to talk briefly about national stuff okay. and then we'll kind of bounce back and forth, but our focus is primarily on local stuff okay. because we can't, me and you cannot impact what happens on a national level. Nope. We can't, I mean, nope. you know, but on a, on a Springfield level, I think we both have, have, you know, decent, valuable voices. So uh, first of all, do you think that Trump, would you say that Trump and Fox news Did I already ask this? No, mm-hmm. did you, are Fox are Trump and Fox news, the definitive powerhouse of the Republican party? No.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and and I, I say that because, you know, I grew up as a Republican and Donald Trump would never have been uh, a, a Republican right. in Canada at all. He, he's, um, it's, I want to put this. The buffoonery and the self-aggrandizement and the self-worship of himself is just, it's astonishing to me. I mean, I don't, um, one of my favorite podcasts is actually what Trump can teach us about con law. Um, the Roman Mars does it, the guy that does 99% invisible. It's just, it's magnificent how they go through the craziness that is of our national politics. Um, I think the only hope I have is hopefully for him bowing out or getting soundly beaten in a primary. Yeah. I mean, when I first met you,
2: mm-hmm.
0: the first thing you said is I don't let me just when I, we Thomas and I walked up to the tent, we said we wanted to introduce ourselves and you approached us and you said, I, I want to be clear. I don't feel very comfortable with all these Trump flags.
1: I don't. I, I don't. And, and um, you know, I don't care if this costs me a primary. I'm sure it could. I yeah. don't. I do not support Trump as a candidate. Period. Yeah. Now, did I agree with a bunch of his policies? Absolutely, and that's fair. And, I mean, I, there was a number of things I thought. You know, I think Amy Coney Barrett's a fantastic conservative, uh, arguably conservative, but a fantastic justice. She's got all the credentials. She's a sharp woman, and I think that she has. And, and I'm also saying like, that because being a, a she's under 12 Dame years
0: fair. old, so she'll be in office I'll for the a no, no, and and that whole <laughs> that whole Supreme Court thing again. This is it's it gets so ugly. I, gets, I think people need to do their research on Ray Bork. Yeah, and and how. Uh, Mitch McConnell had a vendetta against mm-hmm. the Democrats, namely Joe Biden mm-hmm. for Ray Bork. So look that up about the Supreme Court. There's it's 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 wild how that whole thing has gone down. Sure, you know where it's like we are not going to have anybody that's moderate on either extreme. I think the Democrats have made more concessions in the times that they were. You know, tr- that's what Trump's success was as president mm-hmm. is that he appointed. A far right swath of people to, you know, to office. And I think that's why he's the most newsworthy. I say successful, not that I wanted it. I'm just saying that that was very, you know, productive for the goal. And then the stuff with Israel that that, that, I want to get your take on this. Okay. So this is a tough one. And I'm not ever going to criticize anyone's faith. I had a guy on talking about the black Israelites, and that one could be perceived how it was. All I was doing was having a conversation. I, I wasn't signing off on it. I was really hesitant to push back because my guest was an African-American man that I felt like just, I wanted to give him a chance to be heard, you know? And so I, my goal wasn't to be like, no, actually it was, it was to listen. Mm-hmm. And, but, uh, my, in the, in revelations they talk about the destruction of Israel is necessary for Jesus to come back. Mm-hmm. Right. This is, this is just in the Bible, right? So this isn't, and this isn't like some conspiracy or any, this is literally written in the Bible. And I see evangelicals, Always Republican. There's no such thing as I don't think is an evangelical Democrat. Unlikely. No, (laughs) (laughs) but but I see evangelicals going to Israel and just praising the the locals and saying, I love you so much. And the joke I always want to make about it is like, they're like, can I get you a cookie? Do you need a pillow? Because, I mean, we love you. But, you know, once you get destroyed, then that's when our things can happen. I, this is why I am concerned with faith interjecting mm-hmm. with politics and, and legislation being written based on faith.
1: The good news about the book of Revelation, so so my master's sure. degree is actually in theology, okay, believe cool. it or not, and, and, um, and so what we actually look at, I'm a Roman Catholic, I'm not an evangelical, I was raised in the evangelical world, so I'm familiar with it. The good news about the book of Revelation is it's so confusing, you can't actually make total sense of it all right so that anyone that says well this has to be destroyed before this happens i'm like okay that's one reading of that what i actually read it as is this is an allegory for what's happening in our ritual worship so because as a catholic christian jesus empties himself out becomes nothing so that we can take part in his life and then return us to the father in the perfect love of the father son holy spirit that's that's the whole mission of christ so i i i the whole israel thing is a is a very sticky wicket oh my god absolutely and and,
0: uh, and there's no safe haven for either party in america
1: right but i reject any theodicy any kind of we have to do this to do any you know, anything else cuz that's that's kind of that's just lunacy and that's inter- totally interjecting a a very crazy bit of faith into there Right? and some people genuinely believe that and hold that to be true that's, what is your take fine.
0: i know that you know we talked about getting in the mind of other the opposition one thing that i i've had a lot of conversations with conservatives in my family uh and they their faith is so paramount to the way that they think and Mm -hmm. that obviously because it's it's their ethos yeah uh and they a lot of times talk about wanting prayer in school you know what do you what do you feel about that i mean it's it's tough because of course it's like we have to make sure that everybody's getting represented in this because there's different beliefs i'm a christian in in many ways but there's also Mm -hmm. times where i i very much so doubt and don't know if i want a definitive answer which i've been told by someone before they said if you don't know if you have faith then you don't and i disagree with that to an extent because mine isn't definable sure you know and and it's all inclusive so sure prayer in school we want to touch that Prayer in school yeah um
1: oh goodness obviously the civil liberty would
0: be you'd be allowed to and that right. should always be happening the, right. the thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, it should always be allowed. Anyone should be allowed. There's it should never be compulsory because you can't compel prayer. Yeah. Like, like that doesn't make any sense. Then you're actually then you're actually compelling sin because it's a lie. Yeah. And I'm sorry, you're not gonna convince me to lie about something that doesn't work for me because then I have yeah. a conscience and it's that. Um, but I will say that like if there were a group of Muslims that wanted to start a Muslim school, I'm mean, I am pro school voucher. And I understand people get really scared when I say that because, but the reason they're scared is because they say, "So you want to cut public education?" I'm like, "No, no, 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 no! Stop! You're not listening. Um, I'm not saying that at all. Let's run the hypothetical that every teacher keeps their jobs, who are, by the way are underpaid. Let's figure out a way that the public and the parents can work together a little bit more, uh, more intelligently." There the dollars that are being paid to the state towards the education budget, the $12,000 a year per child, how can we spend that better? And, and I'm looking at, and there's been some really thing, interesting things I've seen where um, typically students with special needs have gone to the public schools. Well, that's where they had the resources. Although sadly, I've seen some cases where it's like they actually haven't had the resources. And then yeah. a lot of kids on the fringes, um, to the credit of some of the Catholic schools in in town, have been willing to take them on knowing full well, yes, this is going to be an additional investment. This is going to be an additional cost to our bottom line, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, what would happen if we, if we gave the parents the opportunity to live out their ideals, no matter what faith they were? Yeah. Um, you know, you want to do it more Waldorf-y, do it more Waldorf, more Montessori, more, you know, NPR should have its own school if they want to. <laughs> I yeah, mean, snarky, sure. but. no. is it true that the, the national,
0: uh, I don't expect, you don't have to know this <laughs> because we do have Google, but is it true that the national, uh, Department of Education didn't start till like the 1980s. I couldn't I okay. do not know. Okay. So I'm pretty that. sure that like, you know, I'm going to google it. Okay. I'm curious. Google because, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, because because I I was my dad was telling me about how it was when he was a kid and he's like it was sure. way different. And, you know, because they wanted kind of a national let's just do this. Okay. So This is fun. When was uh the Department of Education nac- enacted federally? 1979 Wow. 1979 and so you know my i mean that is a shock mm-hmm. because i was born in 82 right and so the idea that states were up until 1979 when i heard that i i, I gotta be honest it kind of changed i think it's a, it's a good intent mm-hmm. on public school and uh, hear me this is gonna probably ruffle feathers but i heard that and i was like okay wait we survived up until that point now my concern with what you were saying is equity concerns, sure. right? Where there's, when it's vouchers, there's, there's, you know, it's like with um, homelessness, the, the argument is like a, with the mission. It's like, well, you got to go to church and things like that. And so that's a whole different issue. I'm just saying that in a voucher program who there's somebody that's making those
1: decisions right. that comes from a position of power yeah. and that's a difficult reality. Well, I, I think this is kind of, we're getting a little bit theoretical here, but I think this is important. So I don't ever think about the United States as, as 50, States. I actually think about 3,100 different counties. We have 36 in Oregon. Um, I'm interested in, in the 1970s and eighties, There was a real move politically to concentrate all of this power into the state level. And that was done in the name of equity. Now I, I appreciate that because, you know, let's say we're in Wallawa County and the roads are really rough, but maybe they just can't afford to keep up that much road because roads are very expensive to keep up, believe it or not. Um, the, the uh, What I can understand a state needing to normalize or or make an equilibration between the very wealthy counties to pay for statewide projects. But generally speaking, my approach to everything and, you know, had I won the election, I decided any time I have an opportunity to vote to give power back to the individual counties, I would do it. Um, I think that's where we can make better decisions is on a county level and not at the state level because Wallowa County is completely different than Lane County, completely different than Multnomah. Uh, So I I agree. And it's tough
0: because the funding is going to come from, again, it's the urban versus rural thing. It's like the funding
1: is, I mean, that's the difficult... Well, Dang. I'm going to, I'll give you an international example. So uh, m- my wife and I, we lived abroad for the first three years of our marriage in Spain. It was great. And it was, uh, we can talk healthcare in a minute, um, but um, healthcare was great. We lived in Navarra uh, or Navarra. Uh, they, they had an awesome healthcare system. And what happened was all the taxes first went to their Foral, their, their local governments the the kind of the countywide government before it went to Madrid. And so you you had a lot of other autonomous regions saying, oh, we want to be like Navarra. We want to have our taxes here first. And the you know, Madrid government was like, no, nah, no, nah, come here first. So it's just generally seeing how that localized region was able to administer itself versus a lot of the other regions. It was, to me, it was it was proving my point of view that, oh, having this more localized control is a better approach to politics overall. Yeah,
0: and I think it's the similar c- criticism of, a universal system, just like a voucher program where it's like, who are the power brokers? Who are the ones deciding? I think it can work both ways. You know, in that, I think that's fair to say, uh, what are the values of the Republican party in our area? And who are some of the rock stars of the local Republican party? I wanted to give you a chance because I know that on on my podcast, I've railed against Republicans numerous times. I try, like I said, to make it about the candidates and whatnot, but I do know that there are some really good people uh in office like a shout out to like a mark Mike Clark and Eugene, you know, that mm-hmm. work with people that are really willing. Uh
1: what are some of the values of the Republican Party in our area? Well I would say personal liberty, I would say focus on small business, I know focus on the family. I think those those are really things. And I don't think they're trying to define too closely how the family should be. And that's I mean to the credit of many of them. Um personal liberty is huge. It's huge. But um I would say the heroes though, this is, this is tricky because the Republicans don't have a lot of elected officials in That's a good point. Our, our area. It's true. That's I mean, a good point. Um, now I will, I will push back on some, I've been listening to your podcast for a little bit and I'm going to just say, you got to have David Lovell on to speak for himself. Yeah. Cause I think he'd enjoy talking to him and, and you could have a, a, um, uh, he's a lot more cantankerous than I am. And he, he'd push back I'm oh, sure, in know. some ways. Um, yeah.
0: And, and, and David Lovell, like that brings me into the segue into the sure. next thing. So I do like what it's true. Well, real quick, one more thing about the, the rock stars though. Yeah. Who's the first person that comes to mind? I know that there's not people elected official during your campaign. Who was something that somebody that just always was there, you know, in, in the Republican
1: party, in, somebody that's really reliable in Springfield. Sure. I mean, I would just talk about my friend. I don't know if I can say. It. I mean, I'll call him Jeremy. I'm not going to say his last okay. name. Okay. So Jeremy, um, just because I won't say anymore, he was so willing to help me out to knock on doors together, to be my other to talk about things with, and you know, he would he would push back on certain things. He would suggest different things, and he was just with me all the time. He's just an employee, right? He's he. um he's just a worker and he loved what we were doing, loved what we were up to, you know, different faith life than I have different family life than I have. Um, and, but genuinely just wanted for the good. And I I think the only other thing I would say is, um, so this year was the first year where they actually had a candidate for every, every, every single district had a candidate a Republican candidate on the ballot. So it wasn't just, you know, no Republicans filed. Um, and I would say eighty percent of them were the, were very similar. They were decent people. They wanted the best for Oregon. They wanted the best for those around them, and the best for their voters. And they were just very nice and easy to get along with people. So humans. And and I think yeah, there's some couple scuzz buckets, but you know that's going to be in every party. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, if if
0: you were to ask me that the rock stars of Springfield's Democratic Party. Uh, I would say I'm just going to think of two. I'm going to leave out obviously. There's tons, but uh, we're going to talk about homelessness in a minute. So Chris McAllister, Chris McAllister is somebody that uh, I think he actually isn't a Democrat. Now, now let me rescind that. I think he's an independent, and but Chris works. He's he plays footsie with the Democrats, yeah. but I think he probably plays footsie with the conservatives too. He has a lot of uh, uh, issues that he shares with the Democrats. I know that caucuses maybe with the Dems, but he is doing tireless work for the homeless community in springfield and in in lane county as a whole and i think if you see chris McAllister's name on a ballot especially in a board Mm -hmm. i think that he's somebody that would bring something amazing he does it anyway he's always at the at the at the meetings commenting and giving giving his input because he's on the on the front lines of homelessness Mm -hmm. the second would be Springfield, like you said, your your church is a, a very strong Latino community, yeah. and uh, Johannes Tadeo is somebody that really really gives a lot of pride to the Latino community. Uh, and anytime there's a there's a tragedy or there's somebody hurting, he always riles everybody mm-hmm. together, and and uh, you know that's really awesome to see. One thing that's a misconception, and I'm sure you found this out on the ro- mm. on the road is that, that the Latinos are Democrats. I don't no. think that's true at all. I think that it's probably actually more conservative than not.
1: It, it's it, pretty close. It, it's it's a mix. It's yeah. somewhere I'm not sure where it is, but you're, you're right because you have you know the more traditional values and more family values and you respect you know your parents. The biggest word with the Latinos that I'm know well are is respect. You know, and they don't want the children going to school to be learned to be disrespectful to their parents or their grandparents. That's like the capital sin sure. for the Latino community. That's more of the monolithic because obviously yeah. it's not a
0: monolithic community. And, and with immigration, there's gonna be there's gonna be people that are uh maybe, you know, second uh, generation American or maybe first, right? That they've a lot of oftentimes we'll look at it different, like, when you know, the way that we got here. It's kind of interesting where it's like almost like they're pitted against someone across the line that might look just like him.
1: Now, I'm going to tell you. Uh, now, we did a little uh, voter registration drive up at my church again. And, um, and it was the we had two people register to vote, which is fine. Absolutely fine. You know, it's just, hey, I'm there to offer. And it broke my soul. One of them, the only one of them registered unaffiliated and the other one was a Democrat. And it just, I was like, oh, this is, this <laughs> well, hurts. That hey, hey, was fine. The, hey, that was there for. See, That's democracy. That's
0: the, you know, I actually, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but as a precinct committee person, one of the jobs, and I think both sides were doing it, watching the ballot boxes. Yeah. You know? And I'm happy to say that there was no, no reports in Springfield of any mischief on either side. No, nobody
1: firebombs no, the, the ballot box. No, boxes. and
0: and there was no. We're not going to talk about election fraud because no. we, again, we're not. We're talking local. There was zero examples of that. You know. Yeah,
1: I mean, I mean, I have a great respect for all of the secretaries of or the county clerks, with the exception of Multnomah and Washington counties. Yeah, like, because they completely botched some well, of the things they did.
0: I don't know much about that. I'd have yeah. to read into it. So now I was going to talk about homelessness. Mm-hmm. I kinda know the answer to this. I still wanted to word it this way. Do you support Kotek, Tina Kotek, Governor Tina Kotek in any way on her emergency declaration on homelessness? And if no, what would your strategy be on tackling homelessness
1: in our area? Um okay, this is this is tricky. First, so I mean, I'm not I'm not a fan of Kate Brown, and I am very suspicious of Tina Kotek. That said she is the governor and I want to see what she's going to do. Sure. Okay. Um The biggest thing is I want to see the money spent equitably, you know, among the rural counties, because I don't think they necessarily got the same shake that the uh, more urban centers did. Um, This comes back to how a Republican sees the Democrats, which I think if I were to put a one word for what's really important is infrastructure using the system the systems are very important the structures the the bureaus the policies this is what we've built over time and for a republican especially one with no political previous history it's sort of like a wrecking ball to their system and so um i don't have a lot of faith that those funds will be spent wisely especially when we're talking about big state programs that are here to uh, to alleviate the st- things that we're struggling with on a local level. And so I'm always suspicious of that. I'm honestly grateful though, that she chose to spend the money because there are so many cool organizations, like you're saying, that are doing amazing work to help the homeless. And so it's really a matter of the devils and the details. Are we spending this the right way? Are we, are we finding the right organizations that are helping the most people? Um, on your, uh, podcast with, I was, not shelter care. It's just not enough is being done. Yeah. And there's so there's much there's never enough funding. It. There's never enough funding. I mean, well, and, 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 and then the Republican in me will say, Well, we haven't built enough houses because fundamentally the market is such that there's way too much demand for too few houses. Right. And, and that's why we never
0: have a safe haven. It's no. because because like we have builders, there's been some tax cuts. That have been offered for, uh, if you build low income housing, sure. And then, especially in Eugene, you see, you know, university housing going up for that's going to be three thousand dollars a month for a Ooh. one bedroom apartment or more, and and it's not fixing the problem. No. They and the argument that uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but the dude that was. Ah, uh, building the new Fifth Street Public Market. He right. was he was trying to get these tax breaks, so, right. because he's like, well, if I do high income housing, it
1: opens up low income housing. Like, oh, right. That's not the answer. We need all of it. We the, need, you know, the market is against equity in this yeah. case because the market forces on housing or so much the great, the great travesty. If you look over the last you know fifty years, has been the thirty year mortgage. It has financialized our houses, which never should have been financialized to begin with, because people need a place to live. Not, not to, it used to be that, you know, housing was maybe five to 10% of your total net worth as a family when you were saving for it. Now it's like 80%. Right. And people like, well, I got to cash out and move to Arizona because I want to have money for retirement. It's playing the game. It's playing the stock market. it, It is. It's become a stock and that's, that's an evil thing. So we could actually, as a state do something differently if we're interested in creating greater equity within the housing market, but that only solves a little piece of this whole thing. It actually takes a lot more of the local approach to this. Um, I don't love housing projects. I don't want to see this is the area for Section 8 housing. This is the area of low-income housing. I think that's a huge mistake. I think much more exciting would be like, hey, we have an ADU, and we can afford to put somebody who is otherwise living in a trailer into an ADU. There's so much of this homelessness that's not even talked about. Um, And the other thing is... Like, get like before people get home. yeah, before they get homeless, yeah. like they're almost homeless or their right. housing unstable, right? or instable. I don't know. Um, sure. And there's other models that don't cost so much. And so again, the financial conservatives saying, why are we spending so much money per capita on these things? yeah and and then we're looking at some other things. There's one example over in West Eugene, it's got sixteen different people living uh, uh, in not it's on a public street, but it's closed up, has a little gate and they're living in trailers, and they've rehabilitated eight people over the course of the last year. And these are all, they figured out there was not just, it's not a monolithic group. The hom- homeless community is not a monolithic group. Not at all. So what they figured out was who was preying on one group and kind of finding who was a leader of the group that was more or less abiding the law. And by eliminating those who, and creating safety for the ones who were, um, uh, who were not committing egregious crimes. Um, they were able to create a space, a safe haven for them and allow people to just chill out long enough. Um, the business owners over there were able to like say, Hey, I want you to live on the property in behind the gate. And you're going to be my security watchdog. You're going to have access to our alarm system. And if somebody's breaking in, I want you to call the police because the police will have to- a lot more requirement to respond." When somebody's physically living there, right. versus if there's nobody there, right? So.
0: I've, I'm not positive of this, but I remember. I th- I think I remember reading something about this uh, emergency declaration that uh, not only does it allocate funds and it asks for help from the feds, which mm-hmm. is which is why they're done. I know mm-hmm. that the Kate Brown, they're like emergency declaration for COVID. The the criticisms of it, it's like they keep extending it. It's like well, she has to do that, mm-hmm. and that's how you get the the funds, but. I, I do believe this is something Republicans would like is, is that I do believe that this proposal does have ways of building more housing where it cuts some of the, the uh, regulations. The SDCs. Yeah. And the, those we see what happened in Turkey. Hopefully it's not the earthquake regulations. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, so, yeah. so, I mean, that shit happens. That's where it's like, we want to be able to make, uh, you know,
1: we want to build housing, but we want, we can't cut corners with safety. Well, and, and also, um, we can't keep building cities that requires to drive everywhere. Yeah. I think one of the greatest inequities and if we look go back to Boston, right? Uh the, you look you can actually walk places. I never I didn't have a car there for 4 days. Yeah. Bingo. And you, can you get around in Springfield without a car? It's Barely. not easy. It's I mean easy. It,
0: it I used to do it a lot. Yeah. I've
1: have many times on the bus, but it's not ideal. Right. You know. I I love the bus here. It's it's, great. It it's pretty clean. It's it's nice, but what I what I see is We're continuing to build cities that require tremendous amount of automobiles and don't encourage us to walk. If we can just get certain areas in Springfield to be a lot more walkable and be attractive for all groups of economic, uh, all economic groups, you know, rich next to poor, next to middle income, next to old, next to young, that's the dream. And so for my concern, when we start to build a ton of low-income housing is you get uh, equivalent of a Soviet housing project where it's a giant building that it starts to crumble within 30 years. That's my concern of it. So yeah, the thing is being a
0: walkable community though, that I mean, I live out kind of towards Thurston. And uh, when the proposal for the main street safety project, I I covered it on the show and I was kind of in favor. Now I have said it again, that it was so unpopular that fine, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to die on that Hill. If it's that unpopular, let's not do it. But I do think that people are short-sighted when it comes to how amazing it could be. You know, like with, I love roundabouts personally. I mean, I've spent time in Europe, but, but uh, I, I, was, I remember I
1: hated them so much. I, like, I don't oh, know. I think, that, I mean,
0: it just doesn't slow things down. No, it, 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 you the flow keeps going. I, I, I could see that, but it was on, I mean it was unpopular and oh yeah, I know that a uh, Mark Molina who ran mm-hmm. for city council I think that he wasn't even running as it's a nonpartisan seat, so it's not like he was running as a party anyway. But he's an independent; he had to fight it because he had, you know, right had had kind of cozied up with some Democrats, and a lot of people in that district were like, uh, "No, like I'm yeah. not." If you support this, which he did not support, right? And I
1: think it cost him some votes. I, some I, support. I, you're probably right about that. the The Main Street thing the, here's the problem with Springfield's Main Street, as I see it, is that you have. This is a generational clash um, between kind of an old school way of doing things where parking and driving is crucial to what we're doing versus wanting to walk, wanting to have a more walkable and relaxed city to be in. Uh, Springfield Main Street is what I call a strode. It's neither a street nor a road. I call a street someplace that wants to slow things down and a road, place that connects two distant places, so like 105, it's a great road. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of um, even downtown Eugene has some nice little streets near Fifth Street Market. It's a nice little street. Oh, okay, slowing down, relaxing, not going very far, very fast because I'm always aware of pedestrians or bikes or anything else. But when you put combine those two, you try and get uh, both those things to going together. You end up with what I call a strode, and that is just it does neither thing well. It neither gets you fast, that or is it nor is it safe nor are you building wealth in an area. And so this it's a massive problem with vision. And um, if you have a reluctance to actually change your approach to it, I don't think you're gonna get very far at all. And, and you have to include the citizens at every step. I don't mm-hmm. know how many times people, businesses would say, I am so frustrated that I, just now, I'm hearing about these roundabouts. Yeah, just and, and it was
0: going to be substantial. I'm pretty sure the yeah. Dutch
1: Bros would be gone, and there was a lot of stuff about it. Oh yeah, but so before,
0: we got a lot to cover. So uh, <laughs> you're good. Uh, David Lovell, uh, I, David Lo- Lane County Commissioner David Lovall has talked about folks having skin in the game and how businesses is, is the solution to homelessness. Do you agree? And how do you see that coming together to help those in need in our community quickly?
1: Yeah, it's half the solution. And part of this is that same park that I was talking about where you have business owners saying, hey, we're going to basically adopt this group of people over here. Um, And hey, these are some very reasonable places. There's a bunch of places where if you have somebody who is living on site, yeah, it's in a trailer. But if you have somebody living on site, that can be another place for a home on in an industrial property and in a commercial property in the back. Um, that can be a really nice watchdog for but a lot who, of people. Who would make that? I mean, it would have to be the it comes from the individual the kindness owners. of their heart, you know. Well, yes and no, but you look at them not as the other, you stop looking at them as homeless folks, you start looking at them as your neighbors. And yeah,
0: absolutely. And and one thing shelter care told me was mm-hmm. that. The statistics do not support the facts that people are moving here for homelessness. The homeless community, I don't know the exact number, but it's its
1: a, a majority of the people are, are 10 years or plus lived in Oregon. I think the confusion that a lot of folks in Springfield have is like, why is Eugene so much more concentrated with homelessness than over here? And there's this trouble. That's where the services are. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. It's, it's not my biggest thing. It could be because of the walkability. It might be, and or the, it might not be, because when you increase your, your walkability, you actually increase um, some other. You increase uh, stability of people. Seeing you have a you have a stronger society as opposed to one where people feel isolated. So I think drugs are a big issue. So that's why yeah. policing. Yes, it it has to be involved um, with homelessness. It, it's not saying it's the only part of the solution, but. Um, making sure that we can, I don't care about, I mean, I care very much about a drug user. I don't care to prosecute a drug user. I care to prosecute the person he got it from.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I actually want to do a series or a documentary I'm considering, uh, about fentanyl Mm -hmm. and how much I think that they should change fentanyl distribution on streets. Uh, they should change it from, from selling drugs to selling poison. Yeah. You know, and because... Again. Yeah. I'd love to have you back on sometime so that we can have a very nuanced conversation only on, we're covering a lot here, but to cover only policing Mm -hmm. drugs, one ten, you know, we could, that would be fun. So, uh, we're going to move on. Uh, we got a couple more topics. Uh, labor is the next one. And I've been very pro union on my podcast, but I do want to give you a chance to speak on your experiences working as a small business owner and get your perspective on what it is for you to work with unions.
1: Right, uh, so uh, small business. I mean, small. So I have about th- four employees, and and I love them all dearly. They're wonderful people. We're not a union shop, and the critique what kind of company. Uh, we're we're a small building materials wholesale distributor. So I buy and sell rebar and cedar shingles. Kind of random, uh, it's pretty but exciting. I will. Well, well uh, should, it's awesome. It's well, or, it's very uh, Oregon uh, uh, rebar. Rebar is the biggest recycling operation in the Pacific Northwest. Wow. We take them all your auto scrap from those auto yards, gets processed in McMinnville and turned into beautiful bar that builds your foundations. So That's there, awesome. um, no, it's awesome. And it, this is real quick. This yeah. is one thing I think
0: is a misconception Democrats believe is that that Republicans don't care about the earth. I think that is complete bullshit. Like, yeah. They absolutely do. We want clean it's, air and right, clean water. Right. So go on. So, okay. But um, Haribar, uh, I'm so sorry. You were talking about your business and it's yeah, a small, small it's business. A, it's a
1: small business, right? We w- There's a few areas that as a small business, we're really struggling. And one of those is being competitive by healthcare. When, when we don't have, I mean, again, that's why I propose a healthcare voucher, but I'm as opposed to a single payer system, um, keep in mind, uh, the, the single payer systems that are effective in Europe, um, especially in Spain, I'll use that example, um, that wasn't a result of a leftist movement. That was actually a result of an autocrat right-wing dictator who established these things. And I don't think most people want me to be promoting fascism. Yeah. And so that's that's where I, I get very, very prickly. There's healthcare in general, like universal healthcare? They, yes, in terms of how it came to be in place. I think it's... good. So, ahead. I'll but, let you finish and then will anyway, talk about it. Anyway, um, but here here in the States, so... so I would be happy to turn to you, union labor, I reached out for, um, uh, to look for a truck driving position. Well, the issue was I couldn't kind of, um, pick and choose certain employees. I either had to be an entirely union shop or a non-union shop. And, you know, as a business owner, the one thing I want is I want people to show up for work and work hard and do their job well right and in return you were looking for better wages and better working conditions well when you are smaller like we are you have such a variability in the season you can't guarantee that you're going to have the labor all the time or the need for the labor all the time and then you have to not risk not hiring because of unemployment but insurance goes up right Right? like if
0: you if you lay people off it's a lot harder than people want to admit that's the thing it's tremendously difficult
1: and and i almost kind of think of um Maybe a better approach would be, hey, could we look at the union labor as more of almost like a temp service in a way where you have people that are on the team that you're constantly, you know, that you're playing either the same organization or a different organization. But hey, because you're a union member, you have first shot at getting the jobs that do open up Uh, because it's not I, I think that Republicans don't like unions overall. Not because we don't like union labor. We don't like big national unions or state unions. I think that's that's categorically a problem because you're concentrating power. Uh, a card carrying socialist will say to me, the unions are the people. I will respectfully say that's very idealistic and a little bit wrong-headed because what happens on the on the union leadership level is we end up always funding the opponents of Republicans because we're typing the Republicans as union busters. Well, no. I'm sorry if you tile me a greedy capitalist, but I'd rather have people show up to work than not show up to work. Right. Yeah.
0: There's this, I remember in 2009, the tea party movement was really strong. It was basically taxed enough already. I think is what it Mm -hmm. was. And, and that has is very much still strong in the Republican party. Mm -hmm. And there was a, there was a thing though. We're not, you know, we talk about business and small, small, small business Mm -hmm. that I'm all for that. Listening to those people, What I'm not for is the crybaby corporations, you know, you know, and when the argument of massive companies like Walmart, for example, that are like, I'm not going to, I can't, we can't pay healthcare. We're going to give everybody shorter, uh, you know, not enough hours, but there's a joke that there's three parties sitting, three people sitting at a table. Mm -hmm. There's a, a tea party voter, a corporate CEO and a union boss. The corporate, there's a dozen cookies sitting between them. The corporate CEO grabs 11 of the cookies and says, Hey guy, that, that union guy is trying to take your cookie. (laughs) And that's how I see it. So it's, it is, I mean, I know that's obviously, you know, metaphoric, but the thing is, is that we could be here forever talking about union versus corporation. I think that there's, you have to have unions to fight the corporations. And so, but they can't become more powerful than the intention they're supposed to represent the people. I agree.
1: Correct. You, ha- you have to keep your, you have to keep larger
0: groups honest. This is a tough question, but mm-hmm. if, if you paid an employee $20 an hour, which I think is mm-hmm. a good wage in Springfield, how much as a business owner, is that going to cost you per hour? Roughly. Sorry. Can you, so if you pay someone $20, $20 an hour, an hour. they are taking money. home $20 an hour. Oh yeah. How much roughly, roughly would it, as you being the business owner with social security taxes, uh-huh. Uh, if say that they're full-time, so they get health
1: insurance. Okay. uh,
0: Well, I think that the requirement is
1: not, if you don't have 50 people, I don't have 50 people. We don't have to cover that, but it, but you honestly, Obamacare did some things nice, which was to say, okay, there's a very nice tax credit. So it's like, um, did you hear that folks? I I have, (laughs) well, this is again, where I come back to saying, if you're making, it's really penalizes people who start to get their start. You know who are who are making more than just a little bit yes um because like right now it's very inexpensive for certain people who if we're paying them 20 bucks an hour and it depends on when you start and all those sorts of things and how many kids you have and that sort of thing but um it can be very inexpensive at the very low end but when you start to move up making you know f- 20 40 an hour or 30 dollars an hour now you're like, oh no, there's those tax breaks go away very quickly, but the cost of living here is crazy. Yeah. The cost of housing, and this is, goes back to the big great evil of financializing the housing market, it affects all of us. So I'm interested in how can we create enough housing here that is done in a way that creates that walkability um, because that's going to be the long-term health of our of our city. If you ask me, hey what do you, what do you want for Springfield? I want a healthy city. Yeah. I want people to be you know drinking and smoking less. I want us to be walking more. I want us to be meeting each other in parks. I want, you know, three generations of people to be able to walk hand in hand to the church, to the restaurant, to the park, and also to the cinema. And all that's a nice Sunday afternoon. Yeah, That's the dream. It's tough. I mean,
0: you know, because they're talking about banning flavored vape which we could be here forever and I probably I even though I actually use did you them, talk to Eric yeah uh, well, they, I yeah I have I haven't had okay. him on the podcast but but yeah from uh Oregon Vape Society they're good people yeah honestly he's a I, really I, and he's a libertarian and and but anyway uh they're talking about banning that see this is where it's like you talk about civil liberties yeah and and I I agree with that that what you were talking about but I wonder where that line is where you decide what you know it's like I don't want to see people drinking and smoking. That's tough to first of all drinking I mean that is a humongous part of our culture yeah, and it sucks that it is because it destroys lives. So I'm with you on yeah. that. Now how the government's role in that is tough because I think that in, in, uh, it's just, it, we could, this is going to be too Let's we'll not get
1: too
2: far. Yeah. In the yeah. But, it.
0: But, it, but it's just tough. We will have to have another episode. Yeah. Uh, you wanted to talk about healthcare before we get out of here. We're already getting up to the hour. So uh, let's talk about healthcare An estimated 112 million adults, 44% of all adults struggle to pay for healthcare double that to 93% and they feel that they don't get what they pay for. I've advocated for universal health care. I do want to say this first, but I will hear your perspective on why you are more interested in like a voucher program. Mm-hmm. I do think that universal health care, we need mental and dental, mm-hmm. we need I you know, mental health care I think can can uh address a lot of the homelessness mm-hmm. issues because I think if somebody actually is being seen in their and their care is being You know, taken seriously, which means it creates jobs because we're going to have to have a lot more in the medical industry, which then those people have good paying jobs that Mm -hmm. then go back into tax revenue that pays for the system itself. I don't think it, it, everyone looks at it like socialized medicine. That's not what it is. It's a way to pay for it. So it's a way that I've heard proposals that maybe you could charge like four to 8%. Right. You know, eight is a higher number, but eight percent, I think, is still less than what people are paying for their health insurance. And you would get to go and just get seen. Now, wait times could be long if more people are insured, but that is a dark reality when someone says, I don't want to do this because I if you're seen now, I have to wait longer. Right. That's like saying, I'm not gonna give you a piece of food off my plate because then I would have less and you'd mm-hmm. have some. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so I'm a huge believer in universal health care for the simplicity of it for the fact that people don't have to question, like you had said, you lived in a place where it existed Yeah. and you go to the hospital and instead of getting a bill, you get a parking voucher. Yeah. You no.
1: Know, oh, so, and, and, and I remember, you know, I, I was like, I had some sinus infection or something. I was like, Hey, I think I need to see a doctor. And i like, okay, well for next appointments at 11 o'clock and it's eight o'clock in the morning. So, okay, I can wait a couple hours, you know, so I can go back that's home. That's not too bad. No, it's really still. not too bad. Same day. And then I think the doctor was on time waiting room was spotless. Uh, the doctor was a real doctor, not even a nurse practitioner. Shout out to all nurse practitioners. You're awesome, but just saying. And then the the medicine that, that got me over it, the antibiotic was like 60 cents. So, but I say that to say um, you had a system that was implemented by an autocrat and you had, that is a real tough thing so it's the transition change is easy the mental change oh yeah you know change to that is easy the the actual transition is extremely painful I agree so that's why I I suggest a middle ground could be a voucher system so that we're saying okay it's not coming out of your pocket so heavily and you choose whichever company feels like is is representing you best
0: what did you think about Pete Buttigieg and his his and you know I think it was a step but he's like universal health care for those who want it you know, because the thing I have a problem with it is, is that you're already going to have to pay for it, even if you're not getting it, because you have to pay for the people that that want it. Yeah. Even if you didn't take up. I don't know how that works. If you're if you're because I don't think you
1: can choose to be exempt from it. No, you, know what you what I'm really sa- can, you know what not really? I mean, you can. So you could do a pr- public private partnership. And I'm a big fan of those. And this goes back to kind of education questions. Like, yeah, it's public and private together. And when we put restrictions for no good reason, when we put ideological restrictions on how the money flows, that's I think where the problem is. I'm not an ideal. That's a conversation starter because I, yeah. you know,
0: an example of public private hybrid is like Willamette Lane. Yeah. And the, and they are as successful as you get,
1: you know? Yeah. And I so. Yeah, got mean, you know, that's, and, but, and then there's also tension, of course, between the city and Willamette Lane. you get it, cause sure. you're, now you have two different organizations yeah. that are running together. Now I love Willamette Lane and I love me some Springfield. Um, but we got to make sure that we're doing right glove, left glove, and we're working together because I think while lane could be that missing link between what the walkability really connecting the entire city being those blood vessels for the city through which people can flow. And now you get your walkability sure. and now you get Springfield yeah. being the most, you know, healthy city in Oregon. All right. Well,
0: we have, we, we covered a lot. And so, uh, you know, obviously we bounced around and, but I do appreciate you, you coming on and giving me your perspective on some stuff. Look, neither of us died today. That's good. Uh, so last question, what is the future for Alan Stout? Is that you're, you're going to run again? I'm sure uh,
1: I, I, I would never run against Mr. Lively again. He has my respect and um, a, my hats off to him. Wow. That's a so, bold he may be. I mean, he's 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 he is solid and I wish him many more years. Wow. I really do. Um, I want to be involved. Uh, my hopeful is to be on the, I'm hoping to earn a spot on the planning commission because that gets you involved with a lot of the changes and there's a lot of education that goes on with it. Planning commission is like, is more of a jury type position where you're trying to assess, does it follow the law? Not, or does it follow the ordinance? Not what do I think personally? Sure. Yeah. Well, Hey, Alan Stout, thank you so much. It's been
0: a treat to talk to you. Look, this is an example. You guys can go and you can have conversations just be an open mind. You don't need to prove the other person wrong. You know, I think that even though we're being broad, you're not running. So, so there's no, you know, we're being broad about a lot of the stuff. We could really break it down harder and maybe we should, maybe we can get together, you know, over the next couple of years and whatnot, maybe every few months or something, sure. have you back on and we could talk about we'll, we'll narrow down. an yeah, issue. yeah, let's
1: figure an issue and let's deep dive in. Yeah. It and we can both, prepare I think, and I think healthcare back would back be on. a good
0: one, you cool. know, and, and maybe, maybe bring some, I mean, I know you are down to debate, but bring someone on that maybe I'm not, I'm I'm not a politician. I'm just a a citizen that started this. I'm very underqualified to do this job uh, as a pod, as a podcast host, but I'm learning as we go and, and talking to people like yourself is a big part of that. So I appreciate it. This has been fun. It's really been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. All right. We're going to
2: get out of here. We're
0: going to end this with a song. This is the song improving by Mm -hmm. imperfect
2: wanna let you know where I'm gonna go if you help me grow I don't think that you know me at some Proven and you do you when they do them who do you to do some friends if you move whether you knew and you choose whether you do friend knew you with a proven pen. So in the silence been sidelined by compliance and I'm fine with not trying saying it's time to apply lessons combined when the timing fits if I can survive this thing of not being honest then I'm not gonna die being honest for the first time I find time to diversify my rhymes but it's still my pen. why have I not gotten in I'm tired of the silence and still scared of compiling damn wish I was a nicer friend And I was a better man. Do you need to prove to them that you are proven? And you do you when they do? Them who do you to do some friends? Move whether you knew and you choose Whether you do, friend, knew you With a proven pen, so dude Who do you lose when I'm sold by logo? Whoa, no hope in a photo So I hope that you know I wrote those flows Hope you know why I'm so mad when I don't show growth Cram on my soul so low that I won't know If dope has shown in my flows Shown in my flows Shown in flows Shown in flows What have I shown in flows? What have I shown in flows? What have I shown in flows? What have I shown? shown That you are proving, and you do you with me, do them. Who do you to do so, friends? You move whether you knew, and you choose whether you do. Friend, knew you with a proven pen. So who's gonna lose you when you cry when the vibe is in just right, but the time is spent. I'm tired of the violence, in my mind and my mind again. Sometimes I'm divided is writing and high fives have been dying since so I'm gonna climb again Think I can survive this if Think I can survive this if Think I can survive this if I don't ever try to quit Show me flow